0: Evening, Omar. How are things? Yeah, very good, thanks. Just got a new feature that you can
1: be a co-host rather than just a participant, so I thought it would elevate you to that level.
0: Look, I feel honoured.
1: <laughs> Sound it.
0: Um, anything happened this week in uh, the world of football?
1: No, not too much. There's been a few pre-season friendlies. Um, yeah, not too much has, has caught my eye. How about
0: you? Um. Yeah, well, Liverpool have now got a good uh, um, backup left back um, who started the pre season pretty well. So I think we need one, which is quite good. So I don't want to end up talking about Liverpool too much, anyways, (laughs) for another day. I'll
1: be be the last Liverpool. Um, No, but shall shall we we get going? Shall we chat the big topic? Let's do it. Yeah, so um, we were discussing a really good piece by Rory Smith uh, in the New York Times the other day. Uh, which was centred on um, I forget his name now. But, uh, it was at Pereira at Man United, um, the the pre season pillow, um, and him being one of a number of players who uh, essentially is sitting on the bench at you know major club might be playing in pre season because loads of players have gone on international duty, but he's just going to be a, a player who's kind of filling the squad um, at at a major club, and essentially this issue being essentially endemic within top clubs um, in Europe at the moment and it's very much linked to the Lionel Messi story because it's un- essentially Messi's departure from Real Madrid is linked to them having essentially a blated squad so we thought it'd be a, a good topic
0: of, of discussion today. And I think also the the point to mention is, um, you know, we we... we um, sort of share articles every now and then, don't we, on uh, on WhatsApp? And the 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 Rory Smith's piece that came up on the New on his New York Times piece was something I guess that we had talked in the roundabout for quite a while. Which is, you know, I remember us talking over a year ago, just probably on the phone or during a coffee about this rebalancing of transfer fees um, or transfer amounts, bearing in mind the pre and post COVID era, and without obviously going into the same conversation that we had last time around that rebalancing not necessarily happening um, in the same way for wages (laughs) Rory's piece touched exactly on that on that which was you know you've got a a lot of players with rightly or wrongly um, expectations of what, what their salaries should be and that realignment on salary expectation hasn't quite Um, occurred yet in a market which obviously lags because wages um, are paid over longer contracts whereas transfer fees realign pretty quickly because there needs to be a dynamic buyer and seller?
1: Yeah, I think um, one thing you hear football clubs talk uh, more and more about, I suppose, is this concept of exit markets for players. Um, And when they're signing players, you know, usually players with slightly bigger fees, uh, but even those on, on smaller f- um, fees and wages, you need to have an exit market for players. Um, and, you know, in speaking to um, to clubs, maybe not even in the Premier League, but in some of the kind of smaller European leagues, mid-sized European leagues, they have in the past even described um, leagues like China and MLS um, and Mexico uh, and obviously the Middle East as well as being exit markets. Um, and I think even Premier League clubs have gotten comfortable with the fact that a... You know that there was almost always like a Middle Eastern club or a Chinese club or maybe even an MLS team that might be interested in in their players, um, and that just isn't the case this summer, um, and may not be for a while now. Um, and as we discussed last week, you know these contracts for players were agreed in many cases, you know two, three, four years ago, um, and so they're on enormously high wages, and, and the club needs to take a view as to you know whether they're prepared to somehow. You know, swallow some of those wages as, uh, when they sell the player, or you know they have to hang on to them and wait until they can get a transfer fee, or offload the, the total wage bill. So, um, yeah, Rory gave an example of a whole host of players of players just sitting on the bench um, or sitting on the sidelines of these clubs, and I think um, that ultimately has led to the situation with with Messi, where Barcelona, of course, are uh, well over the. Um, Allowed wages to turn over revenue in in La Liga and as as a result um, you know even with Messi offering or reportedly offering to pay for 50% of his previous salary um, even people doing the maths saying if he played for free they'd still be over um, that that threshold is like 70-75% something like that um, has caused an issue and I think I, I think uh, well, one of the things we want to discuss maybe later on, on this is, is the solutions, um, part of which some people might say, well, let's run your football club better, which, which is a fair point. But I think there are certain issues in the way that squads are constructed today um, that, are, that are causing, or the way that squads are allowed to be constructed today that are, that are causing these issues as well. And, and perhaps there's some regulation or approaches that can help um, football essentially be a bit more sustainable and, and better run in this respect.
0: Exactly right and I was just looking at a few of the the Barcelona figures from um, a couple of really good athletic articles over the last week or so and you know just to give a few headline figures by way of contact context, context it, you know, it's pretty stark um, current debts of over 1.3 billion euros pr- projected losses for the 2021 season of 487 million euros. Salary bill, a salary wage bill in the nineteen twenty season of six hundred and seventy one million euros, which in this season to come now the twenty one twenty two is alleged to actually only equate to two hundred million euros because of the the dynamic nature of the salary controls in um, in La Liga, and as as exactly as you mentioned on that point, Omar, um, the the calculations apparently were that. Um, if Messi's wages had been included um, in the calculation for this season, that um, their wages to turnover ratio would have been 110%. Without Messi's wages, they're still at they were just they are now apparently at 95%. So, you know, there's lots of um, there's lots of uh, number of red flags, a lot of huge financial red flags. And to put that in context as well, which I found fascinating, was that 200 million euro. Um, uh, wage level puts them on a par with spend wage spending of everton and villa really which i found quite you know uh, not not surprising in the same way that obviously you know premier league clubs can can spend significant amounts on wages and then the background to all of this which is obviously a, uh, another point for another day you have the cvc 2.7 billion euros it, pr- pr- prospective prospective investment which as of about twenty minutes ago, um, Real Madrid have said they are going to sue um, La Liga for trying to enter into such a deal. So that's the background to it all. We now have um, a Messi situation, literally and figuratively, where um, you know Messi now signs for PSG on obviously very large money, but nowhere near the money that um, I guess Manchester City were thinking they might have had to pay it, or PSG might have had to pay for Messi come two or three years ago.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think perhaps even Messi's realised that his reported salary is is something like, I think, a bit bit over half of of what he was on previously at um, at Barcelona. So I I think it's kind of extraordinary that um, perhaps he was offered that salary in the first place. Um, You know, it was deemed to be kind of value for money. And who's to say how much you should really pay Lionel Messi? I mean, in my view, the greatest footballer ever. But. You know that even he's kind of kind of had to compromise on on his pay so that a club can afford him as as PSG clearly are within within the regulations or will well I guess will remain to be seen but uh, but yeah I, I think um, yeah my reflection on the Messi situation is that it's is quite sad in a way that that it's kind of you know you never got that official last game particularly in front of obviously fans. Um, you know him knowing that that occasion would have been the case, um, and there's. I don't think anyone would disagree that it has been a big part of it has been the kind of series of of poor transfers that were made by by Barcelona. Coutinho and, and Dembele are, are ones that really come to mind, um, but there are there are others as well, um, and you know. So so Barcelona have to take some share the the blame here, but I also think there are. Just issues in the way that squads are made up and, and talent is distributed within um, within, particularly the top clubs at the moment. Um, I think one of the one of the challenges or one of the, the the things that clubs can do at the moment is that they can sign exceptionally large squads. Um, so if you look at um, the regulations of most leagues or uh, UEFA competitions. A club can sign 25 senior players um, to their squad and have an unlimited number of uh, under 21 players in their squad. And I think if you're in that situation and you're Barcelona, you do tend to end up filling that 25 um, man squad pretty quickly. Uh, and obviously, 25 players is is well more than a matchday squad. You know, normally, kind of depending what your league is, 18 to to 20 players. Um, and, and as a result you have this bloating where you don't always necessarily need to sell a player in order to bring a player in because you might you know you, you might have filled 23 or tw- uh, or 24 of the spots so you can bring a player in and then there's kind of less of a urgency to get a player out or actually in some cases we've seen players left out of of squads altogether particularly in european competition and, and clubs being prepared to swallow that um but now with you know the, the effects of covid and financial Regulations clubs are, are really struggling to do that, and I, I've kind of believed for quite a while now. Um, and there's a very good piece by Gab Marcotti on, on this as well. That um, squad sizes should be much smaller. Um, you know, perhaps in the region of kind of 17 to 20 players. Um, yes, that there. I'm sure there would be a case of um, more money going towards the top players within those squads, and 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 arguably some of the same financial troubles that these clubs have had but I, I do think um, I, I do think football loses out when some of these top players are essentially sitting on the sidelines of top clubs so they just can't get rid of them because they're too expensive for other teams um, so I think there's a there is one of the reasons the 25man squad came in the first place because I think squad sizes were probably unlimited if I remember correctly um, but at the very uh, certainly you know very large clubs had you know the ability to um, to have you know 30 35 players in a squad and and I think 25 is probably seen as a good compromise at the time but i, I do think there's a future in which squad sizes are, are smaller um and clubs are allowed to have more of you know under 23 under 24 talent to supplement that squad um, but essentially your, your core squad of, of peak age players is is smaller um and I think if Barcelona had had that option then maybe they would have cut down on their squad size a number of years ago now. Um, uh, being able to offload these players, so I think it's there's an interesting debate and discussion to be had as to as to whether that should be the case.
0: So then, if we if we evolve that discussion a little bit further, Omar, and um, and take it to one of the points that we were, were chatting about in, in preparation for this, which was, um, you know, we're talking about squad sizes. I'd be really interested firstly in your views on, you know, what that what that size and squad number looks like. Um, Because obviously in the the additional element of all of that is, you know, FIFA and some of their regulatory reforms last year um, announced that they were going to limit the amount of international loans in and out to eight per season um, per club. And that obviously then being reduced come the 22, 23 season to to six in um, um, per loan per club. Um, And... Uh, that was in relation obviously only to international transfers which is something that they obviously regulate for 22 um, uh, year olds and over and what they also asked the national associations to do was to implement a similar domestic um, equivalent which will come in inside of I think it was a three-year period that I, I read correctly so um, it seems in a way that those two things um, interlink and almost coexist to some degree you have you have um, a number of clubs who have, you know, significant players over and above twenty-two or below twenty-two uh, years of age on loan at different um, uh, different teams. So where does where do the fault lines lie then? In other words, for. Uh, the, the, the squad numbers and uh, are there caveats for then players under a certain age and then at the same time what do you think about the whole loan situation of trying to reduce the number of loans possible which then presumably has the disincentive of um, uh, assigning so many players then to loan out and then obviously benefit from a very good player that can be um, brought into the first team squad or uh, sold um, for, for profit.
1: Yeah, I I think the loan regulations, my understanding was that they were being brought in because of the um, the issues. It was less around kind of competition integrity. I think it was more around player hoarding and like to call it out. I think it was almost a direct response to some of the arrangements Chelsea have had historically with with foreign clubs, um, you know, and and looking to, to kind of move players as part of their development and then. Um, you know, either sell them on or, or get them into the Chelsea first team. More, more often, sell them on in, in Chelsea's case. Um, and I must admit, I don't know how big of an issue that was. It, it does strike me as something that um, is it felt very specific to a small number of clubs, and, and therefore, kind of having these overarching loan restrictions feels like a bit of a blunt instrument. But I may be wrong there. I, I, I my my knowledge of the loan market is very much kind of limited to to what I know of the big five leagues and I think um my kind of knowledge of that is that in Italy and England loan transfers are hugely important in talent development so both Premier League and Serie A clubs use loans a huge amount to send young players out on loan to lower divisions and um, as we've seen you know if you look at the England squad the amount of players that have kind of been playing in the championship or league one over, over their careers is is pretty significant and therefore you know uh, loans have formed a big part of their development i'm sure it was the same with uh, the case of the italian um, team making the final um, but in france um, germany and spain it's much more reliant on b teams i don't think they use the loan system anywhere near as much um and therefore i, I don't think these loan regulations kind of influence them at all um and also, the other point as you raised was that these are mainly addressing international loans, which again, I, I don't think it doesn't feel to me that, that that's a huge swathe of clubs. It feels to me that most loans are domestic transfers and, and um, to, to lower divisions as opposed to most overseas. So, I, I'm not entirely sure how effective, but, well, A essentially how necessary it was and B, kind of how effective it will be at achieving whatever objectives it was seeking to set out. Um, but I, I do think um, that, that, um, the ba- that if, if you go down my kind of suggestion, I suppose, of, of reducing the size of squads and to say, let's say 17, let's call it quite an aggressive number from 25, um, I do think you would need to increase the amount of... Um, uh, the age of the the kind of unlimited list which at the moment is under 21s but I, I think your gap then in quality between your top 17 and under 21s would be quite large at the moment I think it's your best under 21s are kind of probably as good if not better than your say 23rd, 24th 25th player I think your 16th, 17th player might um, might be quite a, a lot better than your, um, your, your best under 21 so I think you might need to raise the age limit there and then it um, ensure that there are development opportunities for those players through through loans and so on, so they can get up to the requisite level. Um, but uh, but yeah, as I, going back to my original point, I just feel like twenty five is is really large. And in in the case where clubs haven't got the the financial capability in the long run to deal with it, like we've seen with Barcelona, then it causes you kind of issues, all sorts of issues. And I actually think for the clubs that do have the financial capability to handle it, so. PSG, Man City. What ends up happening is that they end up hoovering up a huge percentage of, um, you know, the best talent in in the competition um, because they're able to fill a squad of twenty five. Um, you know, if you if you imagine, let's say the top six clubs in the Premier League were only allowed seventeen senior players, i.e., players at the age of twenty one each, I think you'd still have a, a very good smattering of very good players at the likes of Everton and. Leeds and West Ham and Aston Villa and Leicester and so on, Uh, but as it is at the moment, I think that there are almost or there are very few kind of top six level players playing outside the top six, and I think that's partly a function of the fact that they can have twenty five person
0: squads. You've you've um, annoyingly and very well answered uh, what I was probably going to ask you (laughs) as the next question, but it just got me thinking in a way. Then is that is In your mind, a reduction in squad uh, sizes, um, an incentive, not an incentive, but almost um, a mechanism to then improve competitive balance in the league. Is that what we're saying? Or are we saying it is a mechanism to actually ensure that um, for some other protective reasons or otherwise, the best players, if they're not going to be, if they're going to be squad players at the very big clubs, could then be not forced but proactively um, incentivised then to be playing um, at a mid-range club simply because of those restrictions that are put in place.
1: Yeah, I, I think it. I think it would be a good means of um, of redistributing competitive balance. Um, you know and I I also think of it in the context of outside the big five leagues and some of the mid-sized smaller European leagues where they do have squads of 25 and they can really Hoover up um you know the best talent in the country there um, where there are big disparities and I think um it's it's you know an opportunity to potentially redress the balance there I think I'd be really interested in kind of doing a study on it in more detail to understand what the likely mechanisms and movements of players would be but but I do think it potentially is a is a quick, not a quick fix, but but a but a useful fix to a, a number of issues around the cost side, but also the the balance side. One of the things I was going to ask you: you work a lot, obviously, on the player side of things, um, and you know the, the perception is you, you have these players who are you know very happy sitting on their big contracts on the sidelines of these clubs. Um, a to what extent? do you think that is true players are kind of happy sitting on the sidelines given the, the wages they get um, given they would perhaps have to take a pay cut going elsewhere um, and B yeah I mean uh, think about it from a player career perspective if you again if they're 25 person squads there's always a very good chance that are sitting on the sidelines so I wonder how, if you put, themselves in, put yourself in their shoes how they might think about the kind of prospects of playing in smaller squads
0: yeah it's a great one and you know I'm only speculating to the extent that, you know, whenever I'm speaking with clients and players and agents and clubs to a degree, um, you know, my, my, my view um, in terms of the relationships I have with certain players and, um, you know, what they say is that, you know, they, they are such an elite breed, is the truth, especially at top level, is that everyone almost almost everyone in my es- es- estimation and expectation just hates even being on the bench never mind um, not necessarily playing substantively so you know that 's almost where um, uh, I always think sometimes managers um, have to sometimes have the worst job in football in in lots of different sports, which is managing a group of um, a lot of the time um alpha males and and females to be able to um, uh, ensure that everybody maintains a happy um, demeanour and a squad of 25 is sometimes extremely difficult um, to be able to do that. I think the second thing also is, as you know and have, have written and spoken about a lot, is it's much more usual now for a larger percentage of a portion of a player's wage now to be taken up by where variable performance-related payments so not only might they be very annoyed about not playing because they actually want to play but also because actually they're not going to maximize what they could be earning because they're not playing and appearing um, and then not contributing necessarily um, as well so I think those two things in the round then become um, you know a very important consideration I mean I still think the consideration for a lot of the time for most players is where am I going to where am i going to play and it's actually happening i think sometimes at the lower level uh, sorry at at the stage of some elite players at elite clubs thinking about whether they're going to sign professional deals or the second deal on from the pro deal because they can't necessarily see the pathway in to the first team as easily and that's in a way i guess i guess by the likes of Sancho um, Bellingham, I know we 're talking about very outliers um, have then decided to go out elsewhere to go to elite clubs playing in elite competition, including the Champions League, testing themselves at a very young age and getting that experience, even though they might have been able to get paid more, presumably quite a lot more if they had stayed potentially stayed in um, in the UK but maybe not have got that same exposure so um, yeah I think that's that's one thing that I see quite a lot N- no one is happy not playing really
1: yeah yeah makes sense and i think yeah as as my hunch was it was a bit of a kind of misconception about the players and I, I think that probably is is true from from what you're saying there um yeah the the, the kind of subject of um of young players and, and choosing their career path i think it's a really interesting one and it's um it's something that we've Done and looked at before for players around what is the best career choice for a player? Because often they are, they do have the option because these top clubs have so much money to, to go to them um, versus potentially going to you know one that's slightly lower down the rung, maybe get a bit more playing time. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think again that's another argument perhaps for um, for smaller squads because you're forcing the hand of these players perhaps to, to take opportunity slightly at a lower level because the top clubs might kind of um hog if you like the the better players more often um but yeah i i I, yeah i I just think it's kind of a really interesting interesting topic around the way that we've just landed on this kind of 25 person squad's list of under 21s and and all these various implications it's had around cost controls and around player movements around hoarding of players around loans and everything and and i don't think anyone's ever really kind of considered the fundamental um issue on the um on on what's driving some of these
0: issues totally agree and I, i think maybe just um uh because only we've got a couple of minutes left and i just wanted to touch on one other thing because both of us are such, um, uh, well, I, I speak for myself, I can't speak for you, in terms of predictions for the the Premier League season <laughs> coming on, I, I've had a poor prediction record over the last while, so um, basically everyone do the opposite of what I'm about to say, um, but in terms of modelling for um, Premier League season ahead, Omar, where where does 21st Group see things generally and um, who who is in a, a strong position to do well this season, do you think?
1: yeah well I think um i mean this it's famous last words, i mean the the good thing with the euro is that we only had a month between our predictions and then finding out which meant that you know people might remember them I think in this case people will'll will tend to kind of forget them which which may or may not be a, a bad thing but i but I think i mean we we did some modeling the other week on the impact that these top these kind of signings or reported signings going to have on on the various teams in the in the top six and yeah, and City with Grealish and Kane really pulling further away. Um, United with with Sancho and Chelsea with Lukaku really actually pulling level with Liverpool. We, we kind of rate them all at very very similar level now. Um, those three teams, and then a drop off to kind of Spurs and Arsenal. Obviously, Spurs lose Kane, then um, th- th- that's quite a big effect on them. Um, so yeah, we, we've got City more than odds on, uh, or rather odds on favourites um, to win the league. I think the. Um, the really interesting team to watch will be um, from several perspectives is, is Brentford um, so we at the moment we rate Brentford as I think something like the 14th or 15th best team in the country um, so and they're obviously looking to that's off the back of their their championship performance so they'll be looking to, to kind of strengthen their team and have strengthened their team over over the summer so if they um, I, I think they could be despite coming up through the playoffs could be the surprise package and I think a lot of people who are invested and interested in, in a quote-unquote moneyball club succeeding then I, I think they are hopefully one to one to watch the season but yeah, if I had to pick a top four I'd go um, I'd go City top I think I'd go literally United, Chelsea, Liverpool pretty much the same points, maybe Chelsea slightly ahead um, crossing the 80-point barrier the other two just below the 80-point barrier How about yourself?
0: Yeah, I I'm just going to go slightly differently and say I actually think it's, again, it goes actually back to the squad point, um, which is I think each of the top teams probably have one or two players that are a little bit irreplaceable, which will then um, uh, deal with performance issues as a result. I think it's... um, you know, it's probably um, Maguire uh, and then possibly a striker if it's Sancho or otherwise for United. I think it's if Lukaku comes and then it's possibly, you know, someone like Kante in the midfield gets injured, then that's that would obviously be a problem. For City, I think it's if Diaz or Edison gets injured, then th- there's an issue. And the same for Liverpool, obviously, is what Liverpool had last season to a degree. So, in a way, it's um, how the squads can um, cover for big injuries for a significant period of time if that happens. Um, and obviously, those teams that I've just mentioned um, have the, the bigger squads to be able to, to cater for or rather to uh, mitigate against those injuries. But I think a couple of big injuries for one of the big clubs make, makes a big difference just as Liverpool saw last season.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's, and it'll be really interesting this season because it's, in theory, the first kind of normal season we've we've had for, well, a while, two years basically, um, and, and injuries were such a big part of the last eighteen months. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we'll see because I think mo- most of the players are probably still quite knackered from their from the long summer break.
0: Great to chat as always, Paul. All
1: right. Cheers, Dan, and we'll we'll speak again soon.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business, a bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by Thirteen, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a T-shirt cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.